Empower Radio presents Art as Worship with Vanessa Lowry. Welcome to Art as Worship. Each week we feature stories of artists and explore their process of creation. I'm your host, Vanessa Lowry, and I'm thankful that you're joining me. On this show, I talk with artists of various faiths, working in a wide range of mediums, on the common theme of how they use inspiration and creativity as an expression of their spirituality. Learn how their art is an expression of their own connection to however they name God, Jehovah, Allah, Source, the Universe, the Great Mystery, or something else. My hope is that these stories will inspire your creative efforts and your own spiritual expression. My guest today is Rebecca Ewing. Rebecca hallucinates for a living. She's a designer and colorist who imagines how this color will look there, how that fabric will look on this sofa, and how these roof shingles will look with that brick. Rebecca taught color and design at the Art Institute of Atlanta and has taught color workshops from Canada to New Zealand, where she bungee jumped, too. She forecasts color trends, helping determine what color toothbrush or wastebasket you'll be able to buy in two years. Paint manufacturers say that nearly 40% of consumer paint sales are within a week of a first purchase to repaint a color gone bad. With 35 years of experience, Rebecca helps her clients get it right the first time. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. So at what point did you have this start this love affair with color? You know, I don't think I've ever not have one. I think it begins with crayons. You know, remember that smell and remember being drawing and coloring in and delineating and marking all over the page. I think it starts then. It just never went away for me. And I still have a big 64-pack of crayons. Yep. yep. I still have me that love affair with the smell yeah. of crayons. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't I, I have a small set, but I have, you know, the 144 Tombow set of dual brush color markers on my desk and um, huge set of color pencils. And when I need to change my state or something, I, I'd color a bit. So talk a little bit about how color can can set a mood or change a mood or affect oh, somebody's mood. Oh man, you know, how can it not? It speak, color speaks to us, it speaks for us. Um, our, our resonance and, and what we're attracted to um, you know, think about the difference being in a red space versus a blue space. Um, think about how you feel when you're uh, wearing lime green versus wearing slate. It just affects our our uh, our perception and our our uh, energy level and the way people respond to us. It affects us all the way around. So it's fascinating to me that these all these industries get together every year and they come to people like you that say these are the color trends and this is where color this is the color we're going to pick for the color of the year, the colors that we're going to focus on. How does that work? You know, it used to be that fashion designers and interior designers dictated what the consumer would buy. You know, and you look back at photographs, family photographs, the 60s, 70s, even the 80s, all the women have the same hairstyle, the same skirt length, you know, the same shoulder pads or absence thereof. Men have the same lapel width. And that began to change about 1990 when over half the women in our country were 40 and older, well-educated, independent. They wanted what they wanted. They had a peer standard, but they wanted their skirt length based on their legs and their hairstyle based on their face shape and the quality of their hair. So they stopped 
uh, uh, the thing of everybody doing the same thing. So what trend folks, what forecasters endeavor to do is look at what's happening uh, worldwide or countrywide worldwide what what are the uh, the themes what are the issues and based on that what is the consumer likely to resonate to in two years if we're wrong it's on the 70 percent off shelf at the end of the season if we're right though it just flies off the shelves because it speaks to the consumer so those manufacturers either participate in the forecasting process or hire someone who does so that their product will work with other products to create a color story at the same time. You know, who's going to buy a, a, a fashion color uh, belt if nobody's making shoes and nobody's making uh, a, a shawl to go with it? Right. You know, who's going to buy that new color teapot if nobody's making a tea towel or a trivet? So uh, color stories show up across... Uh, pr- across a broad product range for uh, a cohesive theme. So what kind of research does a color forecaster like you do? What, how do you determine what colors you're going to recommend? Oh, well, you look, you, you, you have to look uh, outside your industry, outside your interest, you know. So I'm looking at what's what's happening in Japan, what's happening in Germany, what's happening in France, what's happening in Australia, uh, what's happening in politics. Uh, what are our social issues? Is there a big health issue that, you know, need research showing up? So all of those will stack up to something that is a little more um, conservative or a little more risky or frisky. Um, uh, um, you know, what's happening with the economy? What's happening with the environment? Like, um early 2000 all of those spice tones showed up because we were really getting we had to pay attention to the environment and that theme persisted for uh, as a a significant theme for uh, nearly a decade that's fascinating and I think you know what you were just saying about you look at so many industries outside of your own industry you know I find that a lot of artists and a lot of innovators do that too they look at things outside of themselves to kind of see what's going on and then start connecting the dots in a different way yes you know when I was thinking about your topic I was uh, and I've known this it's not something it's not a, a new thought but I need to be provoked I get dull if I'm not provoked I need something provocative I need something that is that challenges me to think and what is the meaning behind it. So an original idea and the meaning that drives it are the two pieces that are really crucial both to how I approach the way I move I work and how I I keep my mind juiced. So we were talking before we went on air about Facebook. What has become frustrating to me about Facebook is there's so much me too. You know, there, there's a post that gets shared and shared and shared and shared and shared, and it shows up on my feed five or six times, and rarely with a comment of why it's meaningful to whoever shared it. 
you know, so I keep going through going, yeah, 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 yeah. The ones that um, really serve me are that odd blog that somebody's found that this is interesting. You know, the thing that's surprising, that's not a, a me too and oh yeah, um, and I just, I just have to be provoked. I get, I, I, I lose juice without it. So, so that makes sense that anything that we look at as consumers or as artists, that we need to add our perspective to it. That it needs to be more than just, um, oh look, isn't this, isn't this cool? But, but have a perspective of why, yeah. why you think that it resonates with you and why you think it might resonate with somebody else. Yes, absolutely. You know, and whether it's a theme for the day of, oh my goodness, this spoke to me because, you know, give me a context, give me a meaning. And then it has meaning that I can appreciate. But if it's just passed on and passed on and passed on, it's just that viral chain letter, right? You know, yeah. I I, I need the meaning, or I need it to be provocative. Well, and that's definitely, yeah. you know, with the artist worship theme, that's really what my thought process was behind it. Was you know, what meaning does an artist bring to their work that may or may not be apparent to the person that views it? So I, I love that perspective that you have of, you know, it's your perspective, it's your meaning that you bring to it that makes it powerful. Yes. Um, are you familiar with uh, Clarissa Pinkola Estes? Well, I am familiar with, you mentioned the book that she yeah, wrote. Women so. Who Run With the Wolves. Uh, she is one that I uh, follow on Facebook. And every day she does a few paragraphs on whatever she is processing. You know, it's never just, you know, a simple quote from a past book. It is always about meaning. Or wee hours this morning, I read, I wonder sometimes about the idea supermarket. And is it like the actual grocery store where there's a small pool of fresh foods and most all else is pre-cooked, overcooked, colored with dyes, touted by ads, and also eaten daily, often many times a day to one's own detriment. You know, so all of the Me Too and the out-of-context things on, on Facebook are like the canned food section. You know, I want the ones that are those apples that are only in season three weeks a year. You know, that is interesting to me. I want, I remember the fruit being at the farmer's market and seeing a, a spaghetti squash for the first time. Right. Going, what is this? Well, let's buy it and find out. You know, <laughs> that, that is what juices me. So I know that you do a lot of different types of art in addition to the color forecasting that you do and the teaching you do around yeah. color psychology. You're a writer and you're a fiber artist and and you oh, do all yeah. kinds of different cool different types of art. So um, when when you're approaching a different you know your different arts, do you have a different process for getting into that creative stream or that creative zone? With the different arts, or do you have a similar process for all for all of them? You know, I think most of it is similar. It's some odd idea, usually an odd one, never uh, 
you know, again, it's not a me too. I'm not one to do a, a Christmas tree or a cat sweater just because a dozen other people have done one out of the, you know, Vogue Knitting Magazine. Um, it's just some little spark that comes from some odd place and off I go. Off I go. So do you have any kind of a process that you use to kind of get into that creative, that zone where you're going to create? Um, no, I'm going to go to the back side of that. Okay. When I get dull and, you know, that sort of stupid with two O's instead of a U, <laughs> the stupid, or when I get into almost a depression, what I know is I've got to change my state. And there are a couple of ways to do that, depending on how deep it is. Uh, sometimes a kid's Disney movie will do it. You know, you go to see Shrek and have an eight-year-old boy behind you who cackles through the whole thing. You're going to feel better when you leave. Sometimes, though, um, walking through the design center, uh, ADAC, the fabric showrooms and and the, uh, the furniture showrooms, I can just fondle and ogle and ooh and ah, and I'm going, oh my goodness, that's fabulous. Where can I use this? So that sends me into that direction. Um, I, you know, sometimes I need to take a class, you know, a, a weekend workshop or, or a course on uh, silversmithing or um, a sketchbook journaling or something will do it. But on a daily basis, unless I'm in that stuck space, it's just almost a whim. And I'll either piddle with it for a little bit and let it go or get into it so much and it's just one of those things that just evolves so how does your spirituality find expression in your art it's never absent it is just uh it finds expression through the meaning you know one of the things i'm writing about right now um and it's fun to be writing for me. I do copywriting and editing for, for others uh, as a side thing. But it's fun to be writing for me again. And I'm writing about a strand of prayer beads that I did probably a decade or more ago. All of them are different. All of them um, uh, represent something specific. And each is infused with meaning. And it is, it's how I pray, but it is, it's also just how I think. So the spirituality, as long as it's infused with meaning, is never absent. Well, and I, you brought your prayer breeds with you today, and they're beautiful. I and I love the the idea that you've got so many different ones. I've got several um, prayer beads that are, you know, primarily the same beads, and so it's yeah. you know kind of a mantra to go through and pray for different people, or to, you know, pray for the same person as I go through and touch the beads. But yours are so different, and and I know that you said you you know got them at all different places. I collected them for years and had no idea why. Okay. You know, it's just, oh, my goodness, isn't that lovely? I think I need to 
carried that in my pocket for a while. And, um, you know, one is carved cats. There's one, uh, a glass bead in the shape of a torch, and that one represents purpose and mission. Um, you know, um, That wooden one is beautiful that has all the different layers of wood on it. This um, one? The, the one that you were talking about oh, earlier. Oh, yes. Ripple. Yes. It looks a little like a, it's a hexagonal. It looks a little like a bullseye, but also like dropping a pebble in a body of water and the ripple effect. So this one reminds me to be careful what I put out because it magnifies and it comes back. So it's interesting to me that you, um, that this, this project that you're working on now evolved over such a long period of time that you were first drawn to collect just the beads because yeah. you didn't know what you were going to do with them. And then you were drawn to actually string them together yes. into, you know, a mala. And now you're, you're taking it a step further and you're writing about the yeah. beads. Yeah. So describe a little bit about your writing and how that's, how you're using the beads as the kick, the, the stepping off point for this particular book that you're working on? Well, you know, I have come to believe that prayer isn't just when we say, dear God, at the beginning. It is what we're thinking and saying all day long. Um, That people who are mindful of their words are conscious of what they want to Express, and they're letting whatever their source is know where their attention is and what they're about. So the one who complains all the time is sending that message to their source. And, you know, I'm not one who needs to know all of the horrible details of something because I'm aware that I pray in images. And um, I had a a nephew who died um, a year or so ago, and I leave these on my desk. There are only five beads that are alike. Uh, Those are for me and my siblings. And um, with that boy's death, I worked my sister's bead over and over. And I didn't want to know the details. I just kept thinking the peace that surpasses all of understanding is what I was holding for his family. And I probably turned that bead a few hundred times a day for weeks. It was a particularly tragic, uh, uh, sad situation. So had I been, had in my mind the horror of it, that's what I would have been thinking and in essence praying. Mm -hmm. So by not knowing all of the details until, you know, a, a bit later when I wasn't so emotionally charged about it, I could hold the peace in their hearts as I turn the beat. So the prayer is happening all the time. You know, and I I don't know how, uh, and it's in our imagery, it's in our words. So I'm one who I will talk about something to reconcile it. But beyond that, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Then it becomes gossip or harping or ain't it awful. And that's not where I want to bond with other people or with my source. Well, and we were talking about the bead that reminds you of the ripple effect. And I, you know, as 
as I've learned over the years, and something that I know is that it only takes a few people holding the piece for that ripple effect to start yes. to impact a much greater group of people. Yes. The same way um, something can, uh, something negative can get so toxic, you know, and I have hidden nearly everybody who posts political things on Facebook. <laughs> it's just too toxic for me. They get too angry. And that anger just spews all over the place. You know, I don't want to be around them because I can't handle that energy. So I, that's interesting that you're talking about your, you know, managing your own energy and yes. being um, aware that you are in charge of your own energy. Yes, so can yeah. you expand on that a little bit more and why that's important to you and why you think that's important for others as well or how people do that? I can't do my best work when I am uh, trying to deal with with anger and toxicity. You know, anger that I can, if I can do something about it, you know, if I can do something to change it, absolutely. If I can't, they're warriors for that. We need our warriors. That's not my pattern. So I do my best work when I stay sane because then I can listen. You know, I, I've been an interior designer for 35 years. I, I was consulting with a woman not long ago that I'd worked with a number of times. And she's back in an old house after a number of years of it being rented and uh, the, she wants to redo the kitchen. It doesn't look bad, but it's 40 years old. But there's a peninsula that she has to walk around about, you know, four dozen times a day. It's not a major thing, but she also is caretaking a husband with Alzheimer's. So we stood in her kitchen and said, you know, there's nothing wrong with this room. It, you know, it's old. But it, it's in good shape. But my guess is so much about your life is hard right now that having to go around that blasted thing to get to your pantry four dozen times a day is sometimes just more than you can handle. And the woman nearly wept. So yeah, she felt heard. She felt understood. It wasn't about the kitchen. It was about life is hard and I want anything that will make it easier. So when I am uh, carrying other people's angst, I can't, uh, I, I, I'm not as um, aware and I can't listen as well. I can't perceive as well to be able to help my clients. So when you're working with a client, whether it's in an interior design project or whether it's a writing project where you're writing for a client, um, how do you approach that listening with them? How do you start that conversation to be able to listen and pull out the things that you need to be able to work with them effectively? I just I ask questions. I never assume that I know. So... When I'm doing a, a, a space, I always start with, I never start with, what are your favorite colors? I start with, how do you need to feel in this space? What do you need to do in this space? When I have those two answers, I can then consider uh, the colors that will support that and a style that will support that. Um, you know, sometimes you choose a designer or a writer because you like their style. Um 
I like working with the people who want to express their style and are not sure how to do it. I don't want anybody to look at something I've done and go, oh, Rebecca Ewing must have done that. I want people to look at it and go, wow, this is a great space, and it's a great space for you. And I only do that by listening and asking lots of questions. So what comes to mind is that it's a much more collaborative type yes. of way that you work with clients yes. than, than maybe some other artists mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And, and different people would want to work with you then. I mean, some people yes. do want you know, somebody else's style because they can't quite figure out what their own is. You know, there are any number of reasons that they want to follow somebody else's style. Um, and, you know, I, I've become aware again recently of the difference between art and design and art is often just not just art is often about an expression with the materials at hand and can be abstract design is almost always about a solution to something so it is a um, it's a it's a different uh, beginning point and it's a different result. So even though nearly everything I do is grounded in art or driven in some form by art, I'm really more a designer. And so when you're doing your own work, do you feel more that you're in that art space when you're doing your own projects versus working with a client as a designer? Um, not really. Not really. You know, I have to approach it differently. It's like when you're self-employed and want to take a day off. You know, you can't call in sick because you know you're lying. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's it's a little different when you're designing for yourself because you either know the answer to the questions or you don't. You know, so or can you even get to the questions? Sometimes it's just an organic process of exploration. So is the creativity that you bring to your own art, does it fill you up differently than the creativity that you bring to a client's project? No, it is the same. If the end result is right, you know, when, when I start out with, you know, fabric samples and tile samples and floor. And you know, most of what I'm doing in, in uh, design work is dealing with things that are available as opposed to original. And, then, you know, then I start culling it out. And when it gets right, there is that twang that makes me swoon or else it is so right. It just nearly makes me weep. And so, then you want to call everybody and say, look at yes, this. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. So, I, you know, I, I've had uh, a couple of clients say that it, it really feels like art when I'm done. It, it's not just, it, it's way beyond utilitarian. But no, it's the same whether it's for me or somebody else. When it's so right that I, I could almost cry. That's right. <laughs> so how has your art affected your spiritual evolution, or how has your spiritual evolution affected your art? You know, Vanessa, I don't even know that I know how to separate those two. You know, source is creative. Source creates. Source uh, it, it always has a hand in divine orchestration. And 
I don't even know that I know how to separate the two. That's a very good point. (laughs) So tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you and find out more about all the different types of art that you do and design that you do. Well, um, my my design website is handsonhues.com, and that's H-U-E-S as in color, Hands on Hues, um, or phone. And so do you want to give out your phone number? Sure, 404-285-9518. Great. Yeah. And do you have any last thoughts that you would like to leave with our listener about how they can connect their own creativity to their spirituality and express themselves? Yes. Anything worth doing well is worth doing badly at first. <laughs> Absolutely. You got it. You've got to find the limitations of something. You've got to be willing to do it wrong. We're not learning if we're not doing something wrong. You know, so be willing to do it wrong and do it poorly to get to the point where you're satisfied with what with your result. That is awesome. Play with it. You gotta play with it. Get your crayons out every once in a while. Yes, indeedy. So tell our listeners one more time what your website is. Uh handsonhues.com. Rebecca, thank you so much. It really has been fascinating to have you here and I um I, I know that we have so many things that, that I love to talk to you about. So thank you for coming today and, and bringing your bright, colorful self uh, to the my studio. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. And thank you to our listeners. Um, I welcome your suggestions or comments on this or any of our shows. You can find links to all of our shows on Empower Radio and on our website, artasworship.net. Please come share your stories of artist worship on our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash artist worship, or suggest an artist that we should interview. Listen in next week as we talk with another artist about their creative process and how it connects with their spiritual journey. May you have an inspired and creative week. Namaste. Namaste.